And as they're making their way to Children's Church, if you don't mind turning your Bibles to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 6. I hope you're having a good morning uh, today. I hope you are uh, excited about what the Lord is uh, wanting to show us and uh, do through us uh, during our time of, uh, of our message. And so we've been taking this journey through the book of Numbers. I, I, I was saying again yesterday, not really sure how, I mean I do, but it's just kind of weird, interesting I should say, uh, for us to end up in the book of Numbers. And uh, I just think it's a really interesting story. I think it's a, it really sets the tone or really uh, uh, lays out uh, where we really are, where we feel like we are as far as in the place and the leading that God is uh, doing and developing in our church. And so uh, we're talking about through the book of Numbers of uh, building up. And so being able to not only when it comes to a structure and actual place of a, a home place for us as far as a building, but really internally of what that looks like for us as a church, as a people. We're embarking and we're in, uh, getting to our uh, five-year anniversary as a church in November. And uh, what does that mean for us? It's been a, a very good foundational work for us through the first five years and how we want to not only continue to build upon that, but what does that look like even uh, going up and uh, really developing our church in that next level. And so the book of Numbers is a good illustration of that because uh, of understanding uh, of what's happening in the nation of Israel. They found themselves le uh, being led um, out of Egypt <clears throat> and going into the uh, way of the wilderness and this uh, very rocky, uh, desertous, also terrain as they're trying to make their way to the promised land, the land that God had promised to Abraham years before, for them to have a place to call home and to really be established as a nation, as God's special chosen people. And so when they're doing that, God is, he's a very loving God uh, to say first and foremost, because he takes them on a journey that goes uh, not the fastest route. And, you know, we, we live in a generation, we live in a time where we want things done fast. We stand in front of the microwave with popcorn, microwave popcorn, and we're mad, we're mad because it takes about three or four minutes for it to, uh, to be ready. You know, we want it whenever we think we, we want that popcorn, we want it right now. We don't want to take the time, even at a short period of time in a microwave environment, we want it now. We can't even wait the three minutes. And so God was so loving to these people that he didn't even take them on the fast, direct journey. And the reason for that is they were not a nation ready for what was going to happen on the quick, fast journey. If they would have walked out of Egypt through the Red Sea onto dry land like they did through dry land and on get to the other side, and they would have gone the fastest route, the first place that they would have gone to is the land of the Philistines. And they would have had to be a people of war immediately out of the gate. And God knew that they would have been destroyed. They would have been discouraged if they would have survived. And the Bible tells us that he actually took them a different way because they were not ready as a people to be people of war. Years later, about 40 years later, they will cross into the Jordan, over the, through the Jordan River, I should say. And they get into that new land, the promised land that God had given Abraham. And they go in to conquer that land. And at that time, they were developed as a people to be a nation of war, to be a nation to go in and for God to use them in fighting those battles. And so God is just a loving God. Number one, he cares for us. He, there's so many dangers. There's so many things, roadblocks in our lives that are there because God has placed those things there in our lives. He's given us things in direction that maybe we have to go around instead of going through it because we're not ready to go through those things. And so that is what this book is doing. Now, when we have looked at this over the last uh, three or four weeks and we've gotten through the first uh, handful of chapters, 
we see God establishing things for the nation of Israel. And God is all about order, and God is all about taking uh, things in the right perspective. And so God lays some foundational things in there for them to really develop and really know how to function as a nation. What pleases God, what doesn't please God. And as we read those rules and regulations, we can kind of get bogged down with it. I think a lot of times when we see people talking about, you know, the Old Testament and we're not underneath these laws anymore, and you're right, we're not under the law anymore. The Bible tells us no longer we're under the law, but we're under the grace of God. And so they may have been forced to do it because of the symbolism that it was for later on, but now there's things under grace that we get to do those things. And so uh, as, we, as we look at this and see this this morning, Chapter 6 is a very different law than the other, uh, other laws. Um, you know, we have one uh, person of the law here, and uh, many times he thinks he's above the law, but he's not above the law. I don't, that's not even anywhere in my notes or anything. I just had to call him out a little bit this morning. But we have rules and law that we have to abide by. And those things keep us under uh, where we are not only... Uh, doing right according to the law, but we're being respectful for others. And so when God is setting out these laws that we've looked up, looked at uh, up to this point, and He will continue to build on these laws, it's for people to be able to function together, right? But this one is a little different. This one is a, is a law, but it's a law of option. It's a law that if you choose to do this one, then you have to function under this umbrella if you decide to take part in this. And so this is the, the Nazarite law that we'll look at this morning. This, for me, is probably one of the most challenging uh, uh, verses or set of verses that I've probably ever preached. Because I think it was very personal to me. I think it was very challenging to me. The first thing is, you know, there used to be, and Brother Jake's like this too, he kind of did it this morning, uh, even though he's not preaching right now. But, you know, there's some of these singing preachers. And uh, really, you know, I've been around music my whole life, and uh, I could kind of, sort of carry a tune. But I've also learned uh, from some of my responses I get from my family that it, maybe it's best for other people to carry that tune for me, right? And so, really, if I, if I had the support of maybe of them and, 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 and you and others, I would have really started out this morning singing, We're No Longer Slaves to Sin, that song, that new, kind of fairly new song, But I Am a Child of God. Because the children of Israel, they were just recently, as we're in this story, they were crying out to God for years. They were in slavery, they were in bondage. And it's really a picture of how we were in sin. That's what it's showing us there. And they're crying out to God and they, whatever they know and understand, because they're like, I've heard all of these things from generations before that Abraham was this God's chosen person. His son Isaac also had that promise. His son Jacob had that promise. And now because of Joseph and the children of Israel being led to Egypt, here we are as slaves and we're supposed to have all these blessings and promises, but I am living under this place of bondage and separation from all of those things. And so God says, listen, I'm going to lead you out. He uses Moses to lead the children of Israel out. They were freed from their bondage of slavery from Egypt. And so they passed through the Red Sea. That Red Sea is kind of a picture as it is for us in a place of salvation that they didn't do anything. God is the one that peeled back the waters of the Red Sea for them to walk through just like in salvation for us. We just got to be faithful to be walked through the grace of God to be saved, to be saved from our sins. And God is the one that's destroying all of their enemies back in the Red Sea. What a great accomplishment that God had done 
for the children of Israel. And they walk through and then now they're on their journey to this place of promise. They're on this place of, uh, of being in a place of abundance when they get to the promised land and they're making their journey, they're making their way. They are no longer slaves to sin, but they are a child of God. And they're looking and seeking direction from God. And so Moses again, as I, before I get into chapter 6, Moses again is now laying the foundation for them of how God wants them to be a people that are devoted to Him. Now I always, I use this with the, with the kids multiple times and I, I, I can use it here this morning. Uh, and I've said this before to us, but you know, if I showed you a picture of my parents and I said uh, to you, who is this? And Carson would res respond, yes, that's your parents. I've seen them before. That's my parents. And I was like, no, that's not my parents. That is what? That's a picture of my parents. My parents are in Deritter this morning, and they're just a few miles up the road. But this is just a picture of them. There's so many things that are happening in this book, as I explained already a little bit this morning, that is a picture of things to come. All of these things that are happening in this law and all these things that God is developing with the children of Israel of what to do, what not to do, and how to sacrifice and how to give those things and how to bring it to the priests and all of those things. All of these things were set up in a foreshadow of Jesus Christ of what was to come that was going to come and not, not destroy what was established, but to fulfill all of these things. And so when we get to chapter 6, Moses puts this in here because God spoke it to him in, in verse 1. And God said to Moses, uh, he says in verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take a, the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, and he's fixing to give those instructions. When a man or woman decides that they want to do this, this is what they need. This is the umbrella and, and the restraints on how they ought to function. He says when they choose to put themselves under this law, this is what they need to do. And in verse 3 he says, He shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat uh, fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation shall eat, uh, shall, uh, he shall eat neither, uh, nothing that is produced from the grapevine from sea to skin. Don't get wrapped up in the whole wine thing. Let's be a little bit more mature than that. Let's get wrapped up in what he's telling them here in these verses is that, listen, if you're going to do this, you're going to restrain from things that are very pleasant and pleasing and extra in your diet. The things that are just, you know, the, the things that you really enjoy, those, the, those things, those, that icing on the cake in your daily diet, that's, that's part of your regular routine, but it, it's, it's an added it's an added something in your routine. It's kind of like with me and my kids, my wife and my kids, uh, we go out to eat. And, uh, and the rainwaters know the same pain because we, we'll go eat out together uh, many times. And the kids will look to us and they'll look and say, and say, do we have to have water? And me and Lisa are thinking, well, we're going to save about 15 bucks easily. Easily 15, 20 bucks. Uh, and, and, you know, do we have to have water? And sometimes we'll be like, you know what, you, you, you can order whatever you want. You know, you can order that Sprite or you can order that sweet tea that costs $2.50 or whatever, $3. You know, but, you know, in this situation, what he's telling them here is you, you're drinking water. You're taking a vow. If you're going to take this vow, you're going to do this as far as your diet. You're not going to take things that are this extra Okay, and he says, all the days of the vow in verse 5 of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head. Now he says his here, he's using the plural round for a male, but it's, you can see in, the, in verse 2 that it could be male or female that takes this vow. Okay, and so he tells them that no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled, uh, are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. I guess no matter how it looked or how it came out, at what starting point, 
they would just start to let their hair grow. And they would make sure not to cut it through the entire time, through this whole duration. They would not cut their hair. And so he tells them here in verse 6, all the, days of that separ- all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not also go near a dead body. This was something that was sacri- uh, this was something that God had already established. So I was talking about earlier that God sets things in order. So he, he, he's not out of order when God says these things. God, you know, uh, God is not the author of confusion. He makes sense when he speaks and he makes things very clear. And so he's already established some things with the nation of Israel. And so the Jewish people already knew that you did to be sacrificed, you know, for them to really go in and sacrifice to the Lord, that they could not have recently touched a dead body. They were ceremonially unclean. And so God is saying during this duration, you're not going to touch a dead body. Verse 7, he shall not make himself unclean even, even. For his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die because of his separation to God is on his head. He said, listen, if, there, if you're going to take this vow, understand, you're going to enter into this place of really being devoted to God in this place of separation. Even on a unique circumstances that you're not supposed to t- t- uh, touch a dead body. And I love how we in life... Now, let's admit it a little bit. And we're going to do a lot of things uh, through this uh, passage that will have to really eat some of our own or, or, or t- uh, partake in some of our own thoughts and the things of how we rationalize things. Because for us, we would say, you know, surely God understands the circumstances of this. You know, me and God got this thing worked out. You've heard people say that. Maybe you've said it. And so God's saying, listen, if you're going to do this, understand, even if it comes to your closest of kin, that you're not going to touch that dead body. And, and basically, he's telling them, if you're going to do this, first of all, count the cost. You know, a lot of times, you know, for me, and, you know, we'll have a time even at the end of response where I've been even in a place, and I've even had to do this to my own children of a person that comes and says, you know what? I want a relationship with the Lord. I want a relationship with the Lord. And Jesus did this with the rich young ruler, the Bible calls him in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that Jesus says, go and do this. In other words, go and count the cost before you just say to me, Lord, Lord. If you're going to say, Lord, Lord, to me, if you're going to come and say, I want a relationship with you, if you're going to call me Lord, he tells us also in the Gospels, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I tell you to do? Because Lord means boss, ruler, master, the one that's in control of your life. And if you're really, if you're really not going to do those things, then why even say those things? Because it's not, there's not accurate, it's not true. And he says, if you're going to take this vow, you have got to take on these Things that I'm telling you if you're going to do that. In verse 8, all the days of his separation he shall be holy to the Lord. So he gives a good description, doesn't he, of the things he tells you that he's going to stay away from. And he says, count the cost before you enter into this law. You don't have to do it, but if you're going to do it, these are the things that you have to take part in. You say, okay, I'm already out, you know. I got to get my I got to get my hair cut every couple weeks. I've I've got to uh, get my hair uh, done up uh, every so often and I'm not going to cut my hair. You know, if my my parents, if if somebody around me dies, I want to be able to be there fully without any hesitation to to mourn. You know, whenever I go out to eat, I want to make sure that I I get the the best uh, soft drink. I don't want to abstain from those things. Why would I put myself under these things? And he tells us, and he goes on on this Nazarite vow. He tells us this is a place of separation, going back to this place, uh, in going back to even to verse 2 when he talks about Nazarite. You know, Jesus was called a man that was from Nazareth. That doesn't make Jesus a Nazarite. Jesus was not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. He was from Nazareth. 
But this is different. This is separate. The word Nazarite is the word of set apart. And what you're doing here is saying, I am going to take this vow of separation. I'm going to take this vow to be set apart. And really, it's a place of, of saying that I'm not just asking God for something. I'm actually the one giving God something. We think about our prayer life. We think about fasting, the principle and the and what God talks to us about fasting. You know, God says, you know, it, it could really in a place of fasting, we're just we're fasting and praying for what we're fasting and praying for. We're fasting and praying maybe for someone to, to uh, get well. Maybe we're fasting and praying for uh, just a certain financial situation in our life. We're asking God for something and we're showing God of how real serious we are about our regular routine that we're going to stop doing something to give that devotion to God so that we fast from it so that we show God and we show this place of desperation for God to give us something in return. This is a vow that, you know what, I'm going to actually give something over to God during this time. That's what they are setting themselves apart for, is for God. And I love this in this place. Can you think about the heart of that person when they don't have to do this and they want to give themselves over to God and then they fall into a place even in their good intentions that they mess up? Verse 9. He says, if anyone dies very suddenly beside you and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. And so what he's doing here in this verse, he says, if something of this nature happens under not an excuse of yours or just something that you was put in a situation where unexpectedly someone dies next to you and you were to be next to or touch that unclean body, he goes, and you found yourself kind of in a place of defilement of this vow, he gives us a way for them to get back on track. Understand in God's forgiveness, it's not a right for us to go ahead and just sin. You know, whenever we sin and do ungodly things, and Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, and he, his answer to this is absolutely not, is what he says. But you know, when, when, whenever our sin is before us, and God takes away that sin, we just see God's might, we see His, His graciousness, His grace towards us, and what a blessing that He has done in our life when God has just taken away that sin, Right? And because of that act is so great, because our sin is so great, we don't go and commit more sin just so God can be so much more gracious to us to forgive that big sin debt all over again. Paul said, should I just sin so that God's grace can be abundant on my life? He goes, absolutely not. We should be in a place of because we have sin and it breaks the heart of God and God has paid the penalty for that sin that we should try to abstain from sin. But he gives us a way out. <clears throat> he gives us a way out <clears throat> in this situation if we do fall into sin. And it's so like God because you know what? If you, if you know me, you know that I'm going to mess up, that I'm going to sin. And if you know you, guess what? Even as in our best intention and our best days, we're going to sin and we're going to mess up. And God still gives us grace and gives us mercy in, those places of, in, in a place of forgiveness. And in verse 9, he continues on. He tells us that he should shave his head. In verse 10, he says, on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves. This is what he has to sacrifice. Or two young pigeons to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and one as a burnt offering and make atonement on behalf of him because he sinned in regard to the corpse. And he shall sanctify his head on that day. He shall consecrate 
to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering because he trespassed against God. But the former days shall be lost because, his, his, because of his separation was defiled. He has to start all over. He or she has to start all over. He has to start all over. And just think if you started with a full lock of hair. And now you're going to a place of complete cutting it off and starting this time of separation today. It does, uh, uh, all over again. It doesn't tell us if it's for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. It doesn't tell us how long that they set out during this time. But they start the process all over again. And they're starting it at, from back to ground zero. And then he says in verse 13, after this, in this place of fulfillment as we look through these next verses. So a place that in that defilement and that separation from God and not fulfilling uh, their place, uh, you know, during this time of separation and this law of, of, of this Nazarite law, there is a place of forgiveness. And he continues on in verse 13 in this time of, of he says, he says, now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of the separation are fulfilled, this is the whole reason that he's going to do it. He shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meetings and he shall present his offering to the Lord. He gets to go at the time of separation. And what we have to do this morning, this is the reason I was saying that this is one of the most toughest passages of scripture I ever, I've, I've really ever preached. It's because this man or this woman on their own ability and on their own, like nobody forced them to do this. They just said during this time, let's say 30 days, I'm just going to wholeheartedly give myself over to the Lord. And it's not for me to gain from it. It's just for me to just give myself over to the Lord. I, I have a quote and I'm really not as ready as I want to be. Well, here it is. I pulled it up a little faster than I wanted to. I mean, I thought I would. William Booth, who is the founder of the Salvation Army, he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all of that. He says that there was of me. Uh, there have been men with greater brains than I, even with greater opportunities but from the day I got the, the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with me and them, on that day I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army, it is because God has had all of the ad, uh, adoration of my heart, all of the power of my will, and all of the influence of my life. William Booth just decided, he says, you know what, I'm just going to see what God is going to do with my life. And that's what this time of this Nazarite time was, this law of the Nazarite was to say, you know what, God, I'm just going to give you me. I'm going to enter in this time and just to see what you're going to do and accomplish in my life. And he gets to the very end. He gets to the very end of this, of this time. And now it's time to go and really present himself to the priest and to really give it over to God of, what, of his time of separation. When you do those things, the Apostle Paul tells us that is greater, it, it is greater for us to give than it is to receive. And I said this to you, to you, I think the last time I preached, if you've ever given to someone, if you've ever invested in someone, no, I actually said it at our meeting a few weeks back. When you actually pour into other people, you will find, it's kind of like what they used to tell you whenever you point at somebody, that you have, what, three more fingers pointing back at you. When you are pointing to someone else and you're investing in someone else, 
God has a way, a supernatural way that only God can explain whenever he's pointing those things back to you. Whenever you're trying to fill other people, you don't understand that while you're right, whenever you're out there filling somebody else's gas tank, God is back there filling your gas tank and putting extra in the uh, in the uh, in the in the gas cans in the trunk of your in the trunk of your vehicle. That's just the way God works. It's, un, it's, it's supernatural. It's, it's greater than that. But it's a, with a person that's willing to give themselves over to God. Verse 13, he says, Now in the law of the Nazarite, when the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering. One ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering. One ram without blemish as a peace offering. A, a basket of unleavened bread, and we've looked at this in the time of Passover, what that really means. And he says, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and the grain offering with their drink offerings. And uh, when you see that unleavened bread, it's because guess what? Unleavened, it, if it had leaven in it, if it had that yeast in it, it would be puffed up. It would be a symbolism of pride in our life that we're looking to get from something versus to give something. And, and the pride is gone. The selfishness is gone. I'm just here to just give to God. What got me about this this week in looking at this is that in order for you to give an offering... The rest of the things have to be in line before you can really give of yourself. If I go and borrow money from Jake and I borrow, you know, $40, let's say, let's say $100 from Jake. If I borrow $100 from Jake and, and then, you know what, I, I come to him and say, Jake, you know what, I'm going to give you an offering. I'm going to give you something, man. Here's $100. Anything less than $100, I'm not really giving anything to him. God has some standards. God has some things, some checkpoints in our life that we should just be giving to him, that we should be offering to him in a, in a place of just obedience because, because God has given to us and then we're not doing God anything extra or anything more than what he's already calling us to do. Our things, the things that we should be doing we should be doing. Those things that God, I mean, the, the, all the scripture, there's so much that we just should be doing because God has told us, has commanded us, has set these things in place that we should just be doing. 1 Corinthians tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us in verse 11, he says, he's talking about taking your brother or sister to court and he tells you to stay away from those things and he says really he goes if you bring them to court he goes wouldn't it be better for you just to go without than to drag your brother or sister through the mud even if you were right he goes you're greater than those things but he says listen and when you act like the world it, he says don't act like the world he's basically telling them and he says, but just like they are, he says, don't act like the world. He says, because that's the way you were. He says, but you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been what? Set apart. You're now saints. He says, but now, he says, but you were justified through who? Through the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He says, God makes you different. And so now he comes and he brings, he brings these things. He wants to make sure that his sin is right before God. He's dealing with the primary things and now he's able to really give of the offering to the Lord. He says the priest takes it in verse 16 and shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice a peace offering to the Lord. And he says with a basket of unleavened bread the priest shall also Offer its grain offering and its drink offering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from the consecrated head and put it on the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. 
Can you imagine if nothing happens and the long hair that he has or she has and are able to take off the long hair that they have, the more they have, the longer they have gone and given themselves up to the Lord and how much in response that they have gained from the Lord even when they were not even looking to gain, they were looking to give and now when they give those things to the Lord and that hair is there on the altar. It's a picture of really what's going to happen whenever we are face, uh, we're there before the Lord and the Bible tells us all of these things that we get to do and we did it in the right reasons and the right, you know, right motives that God is going to give us those crowns and what do we do with those crowns? The more crowns that we get to have, we get the place at the feet of Jesus for His honor and for His glory. And those long hair, that, the long hair that they're able to take off of their head after this vow and put it there on the altar and see that being burnt up on the offering, uh, what a pleasant smelling aroma to God. The more that they were able to give. And then I could even think of it the place of forgiveness. That if I had to start all over and start the journey all over and to put a small amount of hair on there than what it, what it should have been. It's going to be a little different. I don't mean to call him out, but he's, a, 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 I love this guy. But the difference between my hair and Caden's hair is a little different, right? It's a little different. But you know, if I had to start all over and what I did get to put on the altar, even in the short amount of it, and put it there on the altar, just to say, you know what? The pride and in a good pride, in a good way, of saying, I get to place this there. I understood. My sin is reminded of me of how I defiled my vow. But I'm sure thankful and grateful that I can put something there on the altar from the Lord. Our sin is always before us. It's always there. But it was just a reminder of God's forgiveness and His mercy. Not only just His mercy, but His grace that He gives us on top of that. So they were able to still put that hair on the altar to the Lord. Verse 19, And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and put them un, uh, uh, upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated head. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. It's just a time of celebration. They are holy for the priest. Take that there right there. Because the priest is there for the people. And when that person, that man or lady, got to take this vow and give that to the Lord, as I said, they were all already blessed. They were being filled when they didn't even know they were being filled. Because that's not what they were there for to do it. Then they get to go and present themselves to the priest. Can you imagine putting yourself there in the place of the priest? And you don't get this every day. And this person comes wholly devoted to God and presents himself or herself to the priest. And the priest gets to do this ceremonial sacrifice and cleansing. And he gets to partake in it. He gets to celebrate it in it as well. When you're not focused on you and you're focused on God, not only will you be blessed, but the people around you, this is one example, you're going to see is blessed as well. That priest gets to partake in it with you. I told the youth Wednesday night, that I had two people that day that just simply two grown men that I've known for a long time that reached out to me and said, please pray for this specific thing in my life. And I'm telling you, they were telling me of how it was a blessing to them, but it was more of a blessing to me that they asked me to pray for them or that situation. The priest... <laughs> He was blessed because of it. And it tells us here that in verse 20, 
And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy for the priest together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite shall drink wine. What it's telling us here is that it's over. It's complete. He's able to enter in those things that he kept himself from. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord the offering for his separation. And besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide according to the vow which he takes, he shall, he, so he must do according to the law of his separation. <clears throat> Before we get into the last thing and seeing the last blessing that because of this person's vow gives to other people, this is also a place in similarity of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we as Christians really, I challenge you today, if you don't know these two verses, you should know these two verses or be very familiar with these couple of verses. But in Romans chapter 12, it tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is your adequate which is your reasonable service. And he says, and do not be transformed to this world. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and what is acceptable and perfect will of God. He said, this is where we should be as Christians is that we need to understand we are that living sacrifice that we are given to God. It's because when we come and we present ourselves to God in a place, whether it was in your bedroom by yourself or your parents talking to you or whether it was, uh, you know, you working offshore and miles from any, from any kind of church or, or you were sitting in, in a church in the Quincy and God was just dealing with you and showing you who he is, showing you who you are. And being in a place of, you know what, God, I no longer want to call the shots in my life. I know I cannot get to you on my own. I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm getting off the throne of my heart. I'm allowing you that place. You're now going to call the shots in my life. You are going to, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. I'm going to be that living sacrifice for you. I'm going to be like William Booth talked about. I'm going to give myself wholeheartedly to you and see whatever you want to accomplish in and through my life. It's different. It's unique. It's what he talks about in us being set apart of being saints, of being in a people, being a group of people that are set apart for God's work. And finally, so we see that the person, the individual that takes this vow is blessed. Absolutely. We see that the priest is blessed in partaking of this with him. And we understand who our high priest is. The Bible tells us, moving to the New Testament, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is that high priest. He is the one that is there sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf and pleading on our behalf to the Father. And He is the one that partakes in these things and says to God, this one is mine. In the similarities between the Old Testament and the New Testament or the parallels. But it's also a priestly blessing to the people. Verse 22, verse three, verses through verse 27. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, so the Lord speaking to Moses says, Moses, go speak to your brother Aaron. And he says, Aaron, we understand who Aaron is. Aaron's the high priest. God said to Moses, your brother Aaron, he's going to, it's his descendants, the tribe of Levi. They're going to be the ones that are going to be between me and the nation of Israel. Those people, those are going to be the priests. And he says, go to Aaron and tell Aaron and his sons, meaning the rest of the priests, saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. 
all because of this one person's vow to God to give himself over to him. He says, say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord, his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Again, I would break out in song, but I started off the message telling you why I wouldn't break out in song. There is a song that is pretty popular today. It's called The Blessing. And it's really just this song, this set of verses just repeated, followed up by just saying, Amen and Amen, meaning I agree. I agree. It says, May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The people get to be blessed because of this individual. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. You ever had somebody that you knew you were at odds with and they just spoke a word of confidence to you, knowing that they were not against you, but rather they were for you? Of how it changes, whew, it changes your attitude and your devotion to even just to walk and step out and just function. And imagine that's God for His people, for you. The Lord bless you, keep you, make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His, His countenance upon you and give you peace. And He says, and they shall put My name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. He says, my name will be associated with them and I'm going to bless them as a nation. And so very, as now you understand and, and now you know of why this is one of the most difficult verses, set of verses that I've ever preached before. Because it is a place of just really surrendering yourself to God, not to get but to give. And in a place of maturity as a Christian, and I, Paul had reached that place of understanding this, and we are reaching that place, I think, in maturity. And some of us, I've said this in relation to children, because you, you know anymore as a parent, it's no longer about getting, it's about giving. And when you give, and you see the blessing of your giving to that person, to that child, that is you being blessed back in return. And it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And it's a place of maturity in our lives, not just as parents, but looking at it in a place of maturity as a Christian. So as the worship team makes their way up, and I'm going to pray for us in just a second, I want to give us a time to respond in a way of, number one, has there ever been a time where I have just devoted my life to the Lord as what I talked about a while ago? Meaning that, has there ever been a time where I have just surrendered my life, just surrendered it, and given it over, allow the Lord to come in and be the boss, the ruler, the master of my life? To really be the one that I can say that He's the Father. He is the one that is in control of my life. Because if that's not the case, then we're talking about things that are family related. But you got to be part of the family of God to understand these house rules and these house blessings. So to first of all, to be to know, am I part of this family, this family of God? Then you say, you know what, Darren, I really believe I am. I really believe that I have this place of where I have allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and be that boss of my life. That's number one. Number two is, you know what, I need to be the person that God really wants me to be and just give, give over, you know, just my daily trust needs to be not only in salvation, but my daily trust in the Lord needs to be evident each and every part of my day. And that's tough. 
because we want to constantly pull the reins back and us be in control of those reins when God is the one that should be in control. We said, God, you're Lord of my life. God, you're in control. I trust you in the place of salvation. But are, am I trusting the Lord with what's going on in my job tomorrow or in my school tomorrow or in my, or in my relationship with my spouse or my relationship with my children or with my health? Am I trusting the Lord in those things? Because we should be. We should be. It's a constant daily struggle in our lives because we want to take back that control. But to really be in a place on the third thing, to really be in a place where you say, you know what, I want to just be, and maybe it's for you of taking some time. Maybe it's taking a week to stand away from some things. And yes, we're not under the law, and I don't expect you to come next in, in 30 days from now and, and, and cut your hair off and lay it at the altar. I don't expect those things. But what you can take from this principle of the Nazarite and say, you know what? What if God got all of me? What, what if I was able to really give God an offering? Not what I just... I should do because there's a lot of things that I was talking about in, ver in the second part that I just should do but there's some things that God if he really got a hold of me and I got a hold of him and I just leaned in close to him for a set amount of time what could God really show me and answer me when I'm not looking for answers I'm just wanting to be close to him what could he do you'll be blessed I believe church, the body, I believe, would be blessed. And so many people around you, your family and your friends, I believe, would be blessed in that place, in this Nazarite, in the spirit of that Nazarite vow. So let's pray this morning. Lord God, we come and we just ask you, Lord God, as we sing this song and we just proclaim this to you, that we would be in a place of just being able to really just to hear from you in a place of response, just a simple response. Lord, if it's on the first thing of just salvation, and I say just salvation, is just understanding of what it is to really have a relationship with you. That is the foundational situation that we've got to deal with first and foremost. Can't move on and talk about needing you in this area and this area when I need you first and foremost in my life. I've got to know you. You need to know me in that way. And if someone this morning is dealing with that, I pray, Lord God, that they would get those things resolved even this morning. And I pray for Christians, Lord, that, that we really just look to you not only in our daily life but just see <coughs> of how we can really give ourselves over to you even more and more all of you uh, and less of me I pray we be in that place in that spirit of this Nazarite vow Lord, I pray you would just use this verses, this chapter this morning, Lord God, to accomplish your will and your desire for our lives. Again, Lord God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.